Seattle's Morning News. This is Dave Ross with Colleen O'Brien. Can wildfire smoke actually infect you? There is some information to the effect that it can. Let's call in the doctor. Dr. Gordon Cohen, MD. And as I understand this, Dr. Cohen, these we're talking about now uh, fungus spores being carried aloft by wildfire smoke. And then you just breathe it in in your neighborhood and you can be infected. We've always known that wildfire smoke was a mixture of various pollutants. It usually contains different categories of pollutants. So one is gaseous pollutants, things like carbon monoxide. The other are called hazardous air pollutants, like polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons from like burning plastics and things like that. But there's also another component called particle pollution, and this is the particulate matter. And it's a general term for a mixture of solid and liquid droplets that are suspended in the air, and then they're carried by the wind. As it turns out, recent research has actually shown it can carry living bacteria and living mold spores from the ground. And this is uh, particularly problematic because if you have mold spores or bacteria, you could spread infections that are in one area of the country to another area of the country. And the one that uh, they've recently identified, which is particularly concerning, is known as valley fever, or it's also called coccidiomycosis, a fungal infection that's actually found in, in soil, and it causes infection when inhaled. And so it wasn't known that when you've got a wildfire, you sort of burned up the soil that it could actually take these mold spores and this bacteria and lift it up and carry it through through the air. But now there's been some scientists using drone technology flying these specially developed drones into the wildfire smoke and trying to collect microbial matter. They call this pyroaerobiology. And they and they're actually finding that there's this coccidiomycosis mold spore in the wildfire. And valley fever usually exists in the southwestern United States, the westernmost part of Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, Nevada, most of California, and the southern part of uh, Utah. But then it also exists in central Washington and southeast Washington. But what's happened is, is they're now going back to these previous wildfires and they're looking at hospital records and finding that there have been outbreaks of valley fever in areas along the smoke trail where they would have not expected there to be outbreaks of this particular infection. Okay, so then this is not just conjecture. They've actually gone back, looked at records and have been able to link the path of the smoke to the prevalence of this kind of infection. Exactly. And that's what makes it concerning because now that they're able to fly these drones into the wildfire smoke and collect the microbes, they're able to find other living bacteria and other spores. So now they can start to look for outbreaks of these types of infections in the pathway of the, of the smoke. And this was not something that was ever even possible before, or nobody even thought of trying to link the two. But, but now it serves as sort of a public health tool. So you can start to, you know, warn people or emergency rooms, physicians, whatever. You can give a public health warning to be on the lookout for these particular things that are being carried along. Now, are the masks that we've gotten used to for COVID 
Are they effective at preventing you from inhaling these particles? Yeah, they are. So N95 masks were originally developed for work in um, the construction industry. They were actually developed to you know, prevent uh, workers from inhaling particulate matter that came from doing construction, various types of construction work. They are effective. And yes, they can filter out mold spores and uh, bacteria. Mold spores tend to be a little larger anyway. But Usually valley fever, which is the thing that they're, you know, focusing on right now, usually valley fever is sort of a uh, self-limited disease and healthy people can, can fight it off. And it usually has two stages of the disease and most healthy people will only go into the first stage and fight it off and then they're better and oftentimes don't require any treatment, but immunosuppressed people, so people who are who have cancer, people who have organ transplants, people who are taking steroids for some reason, those people are vulnerable. They can get a more advanced form of the illness where it can actually get into the bloodstream and attack other organs or whatnot. So in normal healthy people, it's rarely if ever fatal, but in immunocompromised people, it can be. Yeah. Now, is this one of the, one of those diseases where it just takes one of these spores to infect you, or do you have to have a, a, a pretty decent load of these spores to actually get symptoms? Well, it sort of depends on your immune status, right? So if you're immunocompromised, it doesn't take much of a load, but in an otherwise healthy person, it might take a larger load. Most people, if they're like inside their home with the doors and windows closed, you know, that's probably enough. Dr. Gordon Cohen, MD. Dr. Cohen, thank you. Thanks, Dave. Cairo News Radio's Hannah Scott joins us now with the latest on the murder of a beloved business owner in Seattle's Central District and also an update on the driver who hit and killed a Seattle police officer on I-5 nearly two years ago. Good morning, Hannah. Good morning, Dave. Yes, we'll start off with uh, Devon Pickett Jr., of course. Uh, he was the owner of the Postman who was shot and killed last week and just really uh, shook that community to its core. He was a head coach for the uh, CD Panthers in the Central District for that youth football team and really had just a big, big member of that community. So very, very tragic loss there. Father of three. The suspect that we got word was arrested uh, shortly after we found out about the, who the victim was in that case was in court on Friday and the judge said absolutely no bail uh, siding with prosecutors there. Uh, he's not yet been officially charged so we're not going to name him but um, we found out in the court documents really some very concerning stuff that had been going on for the couple of days in the lead up to this uh, shooting which was last Wednesday outside, right outside of the Postman, that store there in the Central District. Um, this suspect had been a childhood friend of, of Pickett Jr., they, he had been living in Hawaii, according to the probable cause documents, and then first started harassing Pickett online and through text messages a couple of years ago. Then last month, he showed up outside of his business there in the Central District and started asking some of the workers there uh, about Pickett before he was told to leave. Then fast forward to two days before Pickett was shot outside the store. So that would have been last Monday, two days before uh, he was killed on Wednesday. And Seattle police had responded to a shooting in Columbia City. Uh, they found there uh, the owner of an African import store on the sidewalk. He had a gunshot wound to the chest. He's still in critical condition in the ICU over at Harborview. Um, and they found, so they started tracking through some surveillance footage uh, there. Then uh, later there was, uh, he, the guy had tried to use the, the man's debit card who he had shot. Short time later, there, uh, less than 12 hours later, there's another shooting on Rainier. Uh, who A man had been shot in the leg. He was driving there on Aurora Avenue. 
Avenue North. He said he'd been just shot by some guy driving next to him. And a short time later, a similar situation uh, for a woman who had three young kids in the car who were fortunately not hurt. Uh, she actually wasn't shot either. It's just some of the glass that broke ended up uh, cutting her. So there's three of those shootings. Uh, it said he just pulled up behind that woman driver with her kids in the car, fired around into her window. She had no idea wow. who he was. Uh, come to find out in the court documents that there was somebody who was related to the suspected shooter, had called 911, concerned that he might be experiencing a psychotic episode. Unfortunately, obviously, they weren't able to track that call and get, you know, get him behind uh, whatever help he might have needed before all of these shootings took place. So as it stands now, we have the community member lost, Devon Pickett Jr. Uh, there continues to be an outpouring of support for him and his family. And then now the suspect uh, who is remaining without bail in the King County Jail. All right. And uh, so uh, he was in court for sentencing. You know, this was, uh, I'm kind of coming, I'll go to sentencing in a minute. He okay. was there for his initial appearance because ah. he had just been arrested last week for, of course, that shooting. But really just some concerning, uh, you know, the lead up in a couple of days, just a guy randomly, it seems, going around the city shooting people well, in we some sort of psychotic way. And the idea that he was a childhood friend, we know what his beef was. No, it's not. And I'm not even sure that there was a beef, just that he was harassing uh -huh. Pickett Jr. And he had started doing so online a couple of years earlier uh, and then came and like all of a sudden showed up in Seattle and was asking questions about him. So no details uh, there yet. But again, I want to stress that it sounds like this guy was having some sort of a mental break of some sort uh, and yeah. just randomly people uh, shooting people around the city. Uh, another very tragic case. This happened in July or June, I should say, of 2021. And you remember we talked about this at the time is um, Officer Lexi Harris. She had been working her overnight shift, was going home I want to say it was about 5 in the morning on I-5. There was a small wreck on the side of the freeway. She pulled off to help and she died. On Friday, uh, one of the drivers involved was in court for sentencing. Roger Lee Owens Jr. was sentenced on Friday. In June of 2021, he was involved in a three-car collision on southbound I-5, and Seattle police officer Lexi Harris stopped to help. Another driver hit and killed Officer Harris. Owens fled in her personal car, which also had Officer Harris's uniform and gun in it. On Friday, he was sentenced for hit and run with a felony death and multiple other charges. Says Casey McNurthney with the King County Prosecutor's Office, and he says the courtroom on Friday was packed with Lexi's friends and family as far as sentencing. The sentencing ranges in Washington State are based on previous felony conviction history, and Owens had multiple previous felony convictions that led to an offender score of seven on a scale of zero to nine plus with an offender score of seven the sentencing range set by state lawmakers is 87 to 116 months what his defense argued for was the low end 87 months and king county prosecutor said no it needs to be at least 100 the judge on friday agreed to 100 months which is eight and a third years so uh, that guy will be doing some time. And I'll just remind everybody about that case. There was multiple different vehicles. It was like a crash within a crash. So the driver that actually hit and killed Officer Harris uh, stayed at the scene and had, I believe, had been hit by like another vehicle. And that's what forced that. But it was this suspect who was involved in the initial crash who then took off in Officer Harris's vehicle uh, with all of her clothes. He uh, was still charged with the hit and run death.
Wow. So some, I know, very tragic. Yeah. And uh, Casey, Casey made clear that absolutely Officer Harris is not forgotten. And I think uh, if you remember at the time we spoke about her, there was, again, such an outpouring of support. This was um, a, a cop of cops, right? She was so well loved by all sides from the, from the police union, from the community. She had really been very active in trying to uh, rebuild trust with community and, and things like that. It was a very, very big loss for Seattle and for the Seattle Police Department, of course. So and this person who took off was was what just in a panic or what was uh, there was uh, there's some uh, yeah in a panic it sounds like just in in a panic uh, decided to take off wanted to get away and uh, did yeah. not. Yeah. yeah, definitely. I want to get to one more in the yeah. last couple of minutes, kind of switching gears here. Uh, we often hear about the retail theft, and this caught my eye because we often hear about Nordstrom's incidents. So in another sentencing from Friday, we hear about a repeat retail theft sentence. In September 2021, Bellevue police responded to a call at the Nordstrom in Factoria, and police said that the defendant assaulted loss prevention officers while trying to steal shoes. Nordstrom, unfortunately, has been victimized multiple times by thefts uh, and felony crimes. Even though most thefts, most shoplifting examples that, that people see every day, most of those cases don't rise to the felony level, but part of it is the value of the items, and so Nordstrom is especially hard hit when people um, flee with it, you know, even a handful of items, they can be very expensive. In just the last month, there were seven different felony cases that were, were filed involving Nordstrom uh, as the victim business. And we're going to keep filing those when we have the evidence to do so, because that's that's not fair to Nordstrom or any business. And people are, are fed up with it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So in this case, because I know you often ask, this is fueled by somebody who has a, a significant drug history. Uh -huh. So they ended up at uh, the sentencing range was 20 to 29 months. Instead, he's going straight to an in-treatment substance abuse uh, kind of court-ordered drug treatment facility. Wow. And if he doesn't successfully complete that, then he will get that uh, full 29 months behind bars. Well, that makes sense, doesn't it? Yes, uh, we don't hear about that actually going no. that way that, that often. So uh, we'll keep track on this and see how it goes. All right. Cairo News Radio's Hannah Scott. Thank you, Hannah. You bet. Your daily dose of kindness sponsored by Baird. McDonald's restaurants serve billions of hamburgers every year, but there's one where the workers are the ones being served and supported. CBS's Steve Hartman has their story. Of all the fates that could have fallen on 18-year-old Emmanuel Graham, business student at the University of Massachusetts Lowell seemed most unlikely of all. Both his parents died before his 13th birthday. After those years, I kept messing up my school because both of my like biggest support systems, they were gone. So you were rudderless all the way through junior year in high school? I didn't think I would make it to college or senior year. Emmanuel credits his remarkable turnaround, at least in part, to a mentor. A woman who has offered countless kids in Lynn, Massachusetts, a heaping helping of love and guidance. Along with a side of fries. Hola. I get so excited when I walk in the door because I know what I'm coming to now. I'm coming to my family. This is McDonald's assistant manager, Andrea De La Rosa. Emmanuel used to work for Andrea and gave her the nickname Mama McDonald's. I appreciate you, Mama. You never stop being a mother just because they're not your kids. To Andrea, managing young people on their first jobs is about so much more than barking orders. It's about listening. I went to school today. Helping with homework, college applications, really any issue, at any hour, 
for every kid who works here. She treats me as if she's her child. She always checks on me. She makes sure I have everything that I need. It doesn't matter what time of the day it is. At night, she'll pick she up. She will pick up. Like, I don't have, like, a relationship with my mother. Dre gives me the mother figure that I never had. It's just a little bit of kindness, a little bit of love that means the world to somebody. <laughs> At a time when most employers are offering incentives if you stay, Andrea is offering unconditional love, no matter where your career takes you. And as a result, employees are receiving bonuses of immeasurable value. To have a person of support to help me go through it, it kind of like slowly healed like what I was missing. And as for his future, Emmanuel says he doesn't know yet what kind of business he'll go into. He just knows the kind of boss he wants to be. Steve Hartman, on the road, in Lynn, Massachusetts. Seattle's Morning News, Dave Ross with Colleen O'Brien. And here is business analyst Jill Schlesinger. Why are you so interested in post-COVID estate planning these days? Because I am a buzzkill and I want to bring you down. <laughs> every, every year around this time, we have National Estate Planning Awareness Month. I mean, a week, rather. It just gives me a really good opportunity to nudge you about how important this is. I just read a study that found that two-thirds of American adults don't have a will. Now, I know what the answer is. People say, I don't have any money. What do I need a will for? Well, you have stuff. And you also have a process in every state that is a pain in the tush for your heirs to cope with if you don't have a will. And I think most importantly, you know, when I talk about estate planning, I think about three documents as one kind of like, oh, you must have a will. That means that your assets are passed to your designated beneficiaries in accordance with your wishes. Mm -hmm. If you have kids, you name a guardian. This is incredibly important. Number two is called a health care proxy. Why is this so important? Did we not just live through a once-in-a-generation pandemic? I think we did. We know that bad things can happen to your health, regardless of your age, at any time. A health care proxy is the appointment of someone who's going to make a health care decision on your behalf if you lose the ability to do so. This is really important. The third document is called a power of attorney. And just like you name somebody to make a healthcare decision with you for you on a healthcare proxy, a power of attorney allows somebody to act as your agent in a lot of different kinds of circumstances, like withdrawing money from a bank or responding to a tax inquiry, making a trade in your retirement account, power of attorney. Those three things are huge. You must have them. The doctor always um, gives me that uh, day glow sheet to tape on my refrigerator. You know, do you want to be resuscitated? Mm-hmm. And uh, it's true. I hesitate because I look at that and I say, how do I know? Plus, having it posted on your refrigerator just seems like bad luck. <laughs> well, I like that. It's Oh, it's bad luck. I mean, it could be. It would be worse luck if someone came in and you were like, passed out on the floor and they don't resuscitate you because or they do resuscitate you rather and you really end up like on a respirator for the next yeah. eight years that would be pretty bad what's the harm in it is it really bad luck come on we got to get beyond this also you know what i get it this is not exactly what people want to talk about at this point in their lives they're like i'm beyond this i'm now i'm moving beyond the bad times the pandemic 
But, you know, these issues exist whether you deal with them or not. I just had a very dear friend who is quite young get diagnosed with a terrible, terrible cancer. And the first thing, of course, as her loving friend, I said, oh, I'm so sorry. Where are your estate documents? Mm -hmm. And she hadn't done anything. And you know what? It was like very important before she started her treatment. Like even the medical people were like, you have to have these documents. We need to know. We need to know what you want. I know you don't want to think about it, but once you do it, it's done. Put it up on the shelf. You don't have to think about it anymore. Yeah. You have to, I guess you have to put yourself in your kid's shoes. Do you want them to be dragged through this uh, unending court process where some judge who doesn't know you and doesn't know them makes the decision? Right. And I mean, I guess there's the other part, which is a lot of people want to not actually have the conversations with people about this. It makes them so, so uncomfortable. And I don't think that, um, you know, your inability to have these conversations is actually going to make it better in the long run. It's really awful. It really, really is awful. And I don't think that there is Anything that we can do to make it less awful except to say, come on, guys, you know what? These are conversations that you can have. It's kind of great timing, by the way, because what you can do is because you have had maybe some conversations with your family around COVID, you can then actually bring it up much more seamlessly. You can say... Oh, gosh, you know, um, it's we're coming to the end of this period. Hopefully these bad things. What are our lessons that we've learned? You can have a, a nice Thanksgiving conversation. Hey, mom, do you want me to pull the plug? You can say it nicer than that. <laughs> that sounds like just the perfect thing to bring up during Thanksgiving. That's uh, what I think. <laughs> we're also uh, at benefit enrollment time, right? Most deadlines are around this time of year. Yeah, we're going to start seeing that. I mean, this is end of October, November is when you have benefit enrollment. And um, it's it can be a bit of a bear to get through benefit enrollment. Uh, just remember, there are a lot of things that go on in the in the world around benefit enrollment. And it can be new doctors, it could be new plans, there could be new um, ways to save money on premiums, all of these things are going to start coming up. So uh, I promise we will get many, many questions about this on my podcast. We get it every single year. CBS business analyst, Jill Schlesinger. Thank you, Jill. Great to be with you. Thank you. Seattle's morning news. So we have issues including abortion, immigration, inflation. It all came up in a pair of debates yesterday in the races for Secretary of State and U.S. Senate. In case you missed them as a public service, here is Cairo News Radio's Hannah Scott with some of the highlights. Hannah. Well, we're going to focus on the Senate debate this morning. Uh, this, of course, between our longtime U.S. Democratic Senator Patty Murray for Washington State, seeking her sixth term, and Republican challenger Tiffany Smiley. Now, the pair uh, were in um, Spokane at Gonzaga University for this debate. To open things off, Senator Murray touting her record as somebody who listens to the people of Washington State, as well as what's at stake. This is one of the most consequential elections of our lifetime. Women's rights are on the ballot. If you send me back a pro-choice Senate, I will work to pass my legislation to codify Roe into law. Our democracy is on the ballot. I will fight to protect every American's right to vote. And our economy is on the ballot. I will keep fighting to lower costs and make sure your family has a fair shake. 
Now from Republican Tiffany Smiley, she played to the heart. At 23 years old, I walked into my husband's trauma care unit at Walter Reed Army Medical Center. I had student loan debt. I had a car payment. And he, he had tubes coming out of every, or, every orifice of his body. He was in a coma. Um, and thank God I was a nurse because I wasn't afraid to take on the government and fight for him. I didn't know if I was going to meet him dead or alive, but I was going to be there. And unfortunately, the suicide car bomb that he, car bomber that he was negotiating with in service to our country in Mosul, Iraq, had detonated his car and sent shrapnel through both of his eyes so he would be forever blind. But I knew he still had purpose, and I fought for his life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. I took on big government, and I won. And uh, the first question to come up was on securing the borders. So I went to the southern border to see it for myself. And I, I talked to law enforcement officers down there. And you know what they said? Our number one roadblock to solving this problem is Washington, D.C. I don't know if my opponent, Senator Murray, has ever been down to the southern border. Um, but I went down there because I know how important it is to Washington state. We have got to secure our border. We've got to stop the, the flow of fentanyl that is coming across and killing our kids. Now, that was a theme that she tugged on throughout the entire debate, blaming Senator Murray for the various crime, the homelessness, the things much like you see in here in a lot of her campaign ads. Uh, Murray coming back with. I have been to the border. I went to the border when the Trump administration, who my opponent has said she would like his endorsement. I went then because the Trump presidency was separating our children from their mothers at the border, at the southern border. And I went not with a photographer, I went with a pediatrician to go make sure that the kids who were separated from their parents had the care they need. Our immigration system today, which is what you asked about, is not working for anyone. It is not working for our growers or our service industry. It's not working for our high-tech companies who are trying to attract new people here to develop jobs here in the United States. We have to fix our immigration system. I have voted for and worked for changing our immigration system to make sure that we allow a path to citizenship, that we fund our border and uh, border patrol and customs agent in a good way, and to make sure that we have a system that works for those who are seeking asylum. Now, you can kind of hear in the background at the beginning of that, there seemed to be some hecklers that kind of yelled out throughout uh, throughout the entirety of this debate, actually. Uh, the other big issue that came up, uh, there were several, but was on the inflation issue. Uh, Smiley was quick to point out what she saw as Murray's flaws on inflation. I took on Washington, D.C., Patty, and, and, and I won. You've never taken on Washington, D.C. You are Washington, D.C., Senator Murray stood with Joe Biden with the Inflation Reduction Act um, and, and said, this is going to help us. Don't be deceived by the name, because this isn't coming from me. This is coming from the CBO. It does nothing to combat inflation. In fact, it raises taxes on all of us. 87,000 IRS agents coming after our small business owners and hardworking Washington families. Do you know those making $25,000 or less? are five times more likely to be audited by the IRS. That's who I'm standing up and fighting for. And from Senator Murray on inflation. Every community I know, families are struggling. And like I told you in the beginning, I know what that feels like. So I have been very focused on lowering costs for families as we get through this global challenge that we are facing. 
I have worked to lower prescription drug costs. In the Inflation Reduction Act, the biggest reduction in prescription drugs we have ever seen, allowing Medicare to negotiate for lower prices, capping $35 insulin at $35, making sure that families have extension of the ACA so they can get lower costs for insurance. We passed the, uh, uh, the a bill to make sure that we're lowering energy costs. If we move to a clean, clean new energy program and we lower our costs, that will help every family's pocketbook. I am looking at every step we can take to lower costs, including my plan to pass child care. So those are the things that she will do. There was a lot of raising of the voice on the part of Tiffany Smiley. At one point, she said crime is out of control. Patty Murray is to blame. She said Senator Murray and Joe Biden have shown extreme weakness on the world stage. Um, and, you know, Patty Murray, she kind of kept to her record and, and things like that. She did point out, though, at one point when they got into it over Roe and abortion rights, which, of course, Senator Murray has made kind of the centerpiece of her campaign, uh, Tiffany Smiley again said that she's pro-life but mm-hmm. would vote against a national abortion ban hmm. at which point Senator Murray came back with I can hear my opponent over there saying yes I'm 100% pro-life don't worry though and Senator Murray recalled what it was uh, like to be confirming Supreme Court justices who promised that same thing and then now have uh, you know undone row so right. that was kind of her point. So did you see any uh, knockout blows on either side? Uh I, I did actually, the one I just spoke about with the, the, the abortion and the Supreme Court justices, uh, not sticking to mm-hmm. their word, I liked from Patty Murray. I thought, you know, Tiffany Smiley was good on the crime aspect, right? Yeah. She, she, uh, Patty Murray has never had really much, uh, in defense of that that she comes back with. She talked about, I think, in defense, the investments that they made, um, after, during COVID to, to try to help everybody at various things. And I, I don't know that that's necessarily the way to win, uh, to come back with a win on that particular argument. You know, when you've got Tiffany Smiley running campaign ads in front of a closed-up Starbucks that said its windows bashed out a zillion times and the employees don't feel safe. Yeah. No, I thought it was a, a good debate, and I know you mentioned they were hecklers, but at least for the point I, part I heard, they uh, the audience... Kept behave themselves, and we got they got a lot of uh, a lot of uh, good points in on both sides. So yeah, I was uh, happy so to see that. Good debate. Yeah. Thank you, Hannah. You bet. This is Seattle's Morning News. Dave Ross with Colleen O'Brien. We now have some new information on how the pandemic affected test scores here in Washington, the public schools. Grady Wilburn is with the National Center for Education Statistics. What do the scores show, Grady? Nationally, when you look at math, fourth and eighth grade math, uh, they saw declines that we've never seen before. Largest declines in history for reading, fourth and eighth grade reading, We see three-point decline, so much so that the 2022 score is no longer different from the score when we first collected these data in the early 90s. So math is pretty bad. Reading, not not too much worse, but pretty bad for both grades and subjects. Now, were you able to connect this directly to the decision to keep schools closed as long as they were? You can't use NAEP data to make a direct connection. You know, we just got these data or releasing them today. We hope to do some digging in the, in the weeks and months to come to try to get at that question. But you cannot make a direct line between whether school closures um, affect the performance based off the NAEP assessment as it is now. 
So, so what do we do with the what do we do with the information? I mean, we all I think we all know that obviously online learning uh, is inferior to in person learning, but it, it sounds hopeless when you see how far the uh, how little progress was made. Well, to get to your first point, online learning in some states was different from online learning in other states. And that's one of the reasons why it's hard to make that connection between online learning and declines in scores. I do think it is important to get students in front of teachers um, because we know that putting content in front of the students students is the best way of helping them understand the material. Um, But hopeless is I wouldn't say hopeless. You know, we've seen scores go down before, not to this magnitude. But, you know, with the next cohort of students we test in the next, you know, two and four years, we're hoping we could see a rebound um, given the strategies that are being put in place by schools and principals as they're aware of the, the loss of that we've seen in, in scores over the last several years. So, again, we're talking about fourth and eighth graders. These were the, the uh, grades that, that took the test. And in Washington state, how does that compare to uh, drops in years past? So when you look at Washington State and you compare the 2022 scores to the 2019 scores, we're seeing that in math, fourth and eighth grade math, and in eighth grade reading, there are declines. But in, in fourth grade reading, Washington State was actually able to maintain. And while Washington State has seen declines before, in math, we hadn't seen declines quite this significant when you look at the magnitude of the score change. Mm-hmm. So the main problem was with math scores. Yes. And that's not just for Washington. That's across all the states and districts. We see more states and districts declining in math um, compared to reading. And how did that vary across racial groups? Nationally, for um, for math, you're seeing almost every racial ethnic group go down. Uh, When you look at reading and fourth grade reading, again, most racial ethnic groups are down. However, in eighth grade reading, it's only the white students that saw a decline. All the other racial ethnic groups maintained. Now, that's interesting. Why was that? It's hard to understand exactly why, but when you look at performance across the, the performance distribution, the higher performance and the lower performance, it's everyone declining. Um, but, it, you know, we, we, hard, we try not to go into the why too much. There's probably some experts in Washington you all could talk to to get a better understanding. But um, from our perspective, it's hard to say why it's only white students that went down in eighth grade reading. So do you have recommendations on what to do about this? Is it uh, additional tutoring? Is it summer school? How can you fix this? Well, the first thing I'll suggest is that you talk to the experts on schooling. I think there's some teachers and some principals that will probably give you some good advice on how to increase performance. Uh, we do know that one thing is putting the materials in front of students as more as more often as possible. Um, and so there are empirical evidence that does suggest that tutoring and, and summer school and things like that, um, those strategies will work. Um, but there's probably some other strategies within your state specific to the students within your state that the experts there could speak to better than I could. Grady Wilburn, statistician with the National Center for Education Statistics. Grady, thank you. No problem. Thank you. I'm Dave Ross. And I'm Colleen O'Brien. Thanks for listening to Seattle's Morning News. You can hear us live every morning on 97.3 FM or subscribe to this podcast and you'll never miss the show.